going to try this. I might have to retrieve the mic stand. <laughs> Let's just see what we can do here. It was. Hmm. Well, we'll give it a try. Let's see what we got. Thank you for the helm. Now we got it. Now we got more than what we need. <laughs> okay. Thank you, thank you. Well, let's begin. Why don't we begin with prayer? Because I think that's a really good place to start right now. <laughs> let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your special presence here among us this morning. Lord, we sense your presence, and we ask your anointing on your word. Lord, help us to hear it with, with minds that listen and with hearts that are open. We ask that you would renew us and teach us and empower us to follow you. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. I want to make a, a kind of a bold declaration up front today. I want to say that, uh, yes, we're really batting a thousand here is what I want to say. <laughs> Could you change the slide? Thank you. Every person in the world is intended to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, that uh, might seem like an exaggeration, but I want you to think about that. We believe that God intends for the entire world to know him, don't we? Well... He created us that way. He created us with the capacity to know him, but also the desire to know him. Even stronger than that, he created us with the need to know him. It's hardwired into us since creation. We also believe that every person who comes to know Jesus is called to be a disciple. And therefore, it follows that God created everyone in the world to be disciples. Does that change your perspective on how we make disciples and on evangelism? It doesn't mean that everyone will become disciples. It just means that everyone is intended to become one, to know God, to learn from God, and to follow God. Uh, today in our series, Nope, going to need your help up there today. Today in our series, Finding Your Fit, uh, we're talking about discipleship. We've already talked about how God created us to worship and uh, how we were created or hardwired to reach out beyond ourselves to others, and now we're looking at discipleship. In Matthew 28, in what we call the Great Commission, Jesus says, back one, back one, forward one, forward one, sorry, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. I'm just going to stop. I think we need to take a breather here for a second. Um, I'm going to need your help to turn the slides this morning, so I'm going to leave that entirely to you, and I won't press any buttons down here. All right, I'm going to pray again. Lord, things are not going real well here. It seems we have technical issues and perhaps we have a little spiritual interference. So we rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And we take authority over this, and we tell all spirits who do not belong to God to leave this place. Lord God, we ask that you will lead us through this time and that you will empower this word because obviously it's important. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's see what we can do here. (laughs) We're looking at Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission. And it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus commands us to make disciples. To make disciples. Now, let me throw something out. I've been doing a lot of studying over the last while and coming to some really awesome teaching uh, that shows a lot of the parallels between the Old Testament and New Testament thought. And, and this is a beautiful parallel of what happens in Genesis when God makes Adam and Eve. He makes first man and first woman, and he tells them, go and make more humans. Right? That's what he says. Go make more humans. In Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Matthew 28's Great Commission is essentially the same command, except not physically, but spiritually. Go and make more disciples. Go do it in all the countries, with all the people groups, because that's sort of literally what that means, with all the people groups in the world. God made us to be disciples, and disciples are made for multiplication. So how do we make disciples? Well, last week we talked about being a witness and witnessing, and it's the same kind of thing. To share the gospel as a witness for Jesus, you first have to know Jesus yourself, right? And the same thing here. If you're going to follow the Great Commission and make disciples, first, you have to be a disciple. It has to start there. So what's a disciple? Well, basically, a disciple is a follower of a, or a student of a, a teacher or a leader, and, and also someone who maybe propagates or shares their teaching as well. Um, think of the 12 disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Andrew, James, Philip, Thomas, Judas, Nathaniel, and the one I always forget, Thaddeus. <laughs> Now, here are these guys. They spent a considerable amount of time with Jesus, right? Um, Literally, wherever Jesus went, they went. They sat at his feet. They listened to his teaching. They learned sometimes the hard way. They did the wrong things and learned from their mistakes. They said the wrong things. And you have, you know, guys like Peter puts his foot in his mouth all the time. But they were learning. And they were growing as they went. And the men that sort of at the end of the three-year time period, they were not the same as they were at the beginning of that three-year time period. Being disciples isn't just a title, you know. It's something that they were. It wasn't just a curriculum they studied, and, and it wasn't an indoctrination. It was more like an apprenticeship, if you think about it that way. Uh, Right now, we can't physically be with Jesus, can we? 
but we can still walk with him. We can still follow his teaching. We can be his disciples in preparation for the time when we will be with him together for eternity. You know, in the scriptures, God has revealed so much about himself and so much about what it is to be a disciple and how to be a disciple. Um, like in John 8. In John 8, it talks about his abiding word. Now, most translations don't translate it quite this way. Uh, they translate it, you know, if you hold on to my word, if you hold to my teachings, if you keep following me. There are a lot of different translations, but the actual word in Hebrew is abide. So let me read that that way from uh, the ESV. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now think about that. What does it mean? What's it different about abiding in God's word? It, it, think about living in a house. You abide in a house, right? So think about living in God's word. Surrounded by God's word. Immersed in God's word. God's word is your address. We know that following Jesus has something to do with reading his word, the Bible. Abiding in God's word is surely reading the Bible, but it's more than that. It's kind of like soaking in God's word, you know? You ever had a long, luxurious bubble bath? There's my duck. I mean, a really, really, really long soak. Have you ever done that? Uh, when I was in college, I, I worked for a summer repairing foundations on houses in construction. And at the end of every day, I would come home, and my mom didn't have a shower, so she had one of those big old claw-footed bathtubs. It was enormous, and so am I, so it worked perfectly. And I would just lay in there, and I would just soak. And, and my muscles would start to relax. And it felt so good, I wanted to abide in it. Think about that when you think about God's word. Not me in the tub, that would be inappropriate. <laughs> think about the idea of soaking in God's word, of being immersed in God's word. You know, think about soaking in God's word till your fingers get pruny. You know? Just staying in the Lord, being immersed in his word. It's more than just reading it. It's like taking it in through your pores. Letting it coach you. Let it become part of you. So that when you go out, that scent of God's word is on you and other people can smell it in a good way. Jesus says that when we abide in his word, we are truly his disciples. Abiding in his word leads us to truth about God, and about Jesus in particular. And God's word, uh, you, might, you might know this already, but in God, in God's word in Jesus' day was most commonly the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, what they call the Septuagint. That was what Jesus quoted from mostly, although he also does some Aramaic in spots, but, but mostly it's from this version of the word. But here in, in this little passage, he's saying, 
abide in my word. He's saying that the words and teachings that he was giving were also the word of God, right? My word. If you want to read a book that's about discipleship that I, th I think is really encouraging, uh, I first read it, I think, when I first got saved, when I was at college. And um, it's The Knowledge of the Holy by J.I. Packer. And it's just a classic. I, I just really encourage you to read it. But let me read you what Packer says about this. He says, God has spoken to man, and the Bible is his word. It's given to us to make us wise unto salvation. Godliness means responding to God's revelation in trust and obedience, faith and worship, prayer and praise, submission and service. Life must be seen and lived in light of God's word. This and nothing else is true religion. This is what I'm talking about. Soaking in God's word until you're living in God's word, until you look like God's word, you talk like it, you, you sound like it, you might even smell like it in a good way. Being a disciple is about a number of things. It's also about serving. Um, John 12 and 26 says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Serving Jesus and serving others in Jesus' name is it's part of being a disciple. It's right there. We, we're no longer slaves to sin, but we are servants of Jesus. And, and this is a great honor, serving the Lord. Um, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, he's, Jesus says, you have to be humble. You have to, the first has to become last. You know, our order of things, the way we normally think of things changes. It reverses. It's an upside down world. There's nothing humble about the age that we live in right now, is there? It's brassy, it's bold, it's loud, it's noisy, it's obnoxious. And you know, when you express humility, it becomes very obvious. Humility confronts pride. Humility confronts greed and selfishness just because it's humble, because it's so different from what's being expressed. And living humbly, I'm not talking about false humility. You know, like after a compliment, you know, somebody gives you a compliment, oh, no, no, thanks, thanks. You're too kind, you're too kind, you know, <laughs> that kind of false humility. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. Real humility recognizes that God is God and you're not. Real humi humility recognizes that the gifts and the abilities and the resources that we have come from God. You know, being a disciple is not a glamorous life. I think you already know that. And it can be an awfully hard life, as Jesus pointed out. And he said in Mark 8, 34, it says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In America, we have no theology of suffering. We really don't. In Ukraine, you bet they have a theology of suffering. They understand what it is to lean on God and to depend on him and only be able to get by because of him. 
in other countries in the world, that's true. But here in America, that's not usually true. We think that if we're suffering, that God must be mad at us. Why is God doing this to me? I've heard so many times. If we're suffering, we might think that we're entitled to go through a life without suffering. We hope for that, but are we entitled to it? The same is true of denial. We live in America, the land of the free and easy, and, and why should we deny ourselves anything? But Jesus says, take up your cross every day. Deny yourself. Follow me. What did the cross do for Jesus? Gold bling, symbol of status, something to wear when you're out doing the clubs. What did the cross mean to Jesus? What did it do for Jesus? It cost him everything in suffering. It killed him in the end. But it became the bridge to salvation for us, for humanity. Choosing to follow Jesus means self-sacrifice. It means self-denial. It means choosing one direction over another. It means following the direction of Jesus in so many different ways. It means rejecting sinful choices, ignoring the world's advice on what's okay and what's not okay. There's a lot of denial in discipleship. Not denial in the way that we pretend something doesn't exist, but in a letting go of things that we could have, maybe even should have, but choosing Jesus instead. We have free will. You know, we can choose anything we want. We can go any place we want to go. Anything we wish to choose is ours to choose. Nobody is going to force you to do anything in life, especially as Christians. We're not going to come around to your house and, and make you be a disciple. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to sit you down and force feed you the Bible or prayer or worship or any discipline that is part of discipleship. I'm not going to do that. Following Jesus is something you choose to do. John Stott says, taking up my cross means life voluntarily surrendered to God. Let me say that again. Taking up my cross means life voluntarily surrendered to God. Nobody's going to force you. It's up to you. Jesus took up the cross knowing what he was surrendering to, didn't he? He was submitting to the will of the Father, and he knew that was painful. It brought him to this anguished place in tears. It brought him to cry out on the cross to feel forsaken. Because it was such suffering and cost and the stench of death. God had never experienced death until the cross. It was painful. It was filled with suffering. But he chose the Father's path over his own path. If it's your will, take this from me. But not my will 
your will. Could have called down 10,000 angels, we sing, but he chose to serve and submit and to deny himself even what was his due, what was properly his. And he put that aside for us. What a stupid choice that is by our standards. You know, by the standards of the society in which we live, that is a really ridiculous thing. But he chose to pay for your sins and my sins with this upside-down choice. Dallas Willard, lots of waiting if you're going through Dallas's stuff, but, but he has some amazing stuff on discipleship. Let me share this. He said, what is truly profound is thought to be stupid and trivial, or worse, boring, while what is actually stupid and trivial is thought to be profound in our society. Isn't that true? That's what it means to fly upside down, to live in this upside down world as a Christian, as a believer, as a disciple of Jesus. To make disciples, we have to first be a disciple. Discipleship is like that good phrase that, that great educators use over and over. We have to be lifelong learners. And it's a powerful thing. You don't stop learning. You know, I, I, I object a little bit. You've probably heard me say this to the word discipled. Well, he's discipled. We discipled him. It sounds like it's finished. It sounds like it's a done deal. It's a complete job. But we are disciples through our entire lives. We never stop being disciples and growing. And if we do, we usually become cranky and cantankerous. We usually become the problem in the church. You know? Isn't that true? You've seen it. Maybe you've done it. <laughs> being a disciple means being a lifelong learner. It means lifelong prayers. It means lifelong worshiping. It means lifelong church attenders. Whatever form that takes in the future, it's, it's going to change. Church is going to evolve and it's going to change because we live in this world. We don't want to be of the world. But we are fooling ourselves if we don't think we're changed by it or touched by it or affected by it. So it, the way we worship together might change as things go on. But we're still called to be a part of God's church. And we're called to be lifelong submitters to God. And we're called to be lifelong cross-carriers of God, right? That's what discipleship is. And then there's that part where we pass it on, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. You know, there's, there's so much more that we could talk about about what it is to be a disciple, but being a disciple is as much about being as it is doing. Isn't that right? We're being like Christ. We're trying to allow God. We're trying, that becomes a problem sometimes. But we open ourselves to receive God by submitting to him fully, right? So what about making disciples? Let's move on to there. And I want to make this really, really simple. I want to go back to the Great Commission again in Matthew 28. 
And, and the words in Matthew 28 say, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Wasn't that an interesting place to start? Baptizing them. It's interesting that that's where it starts. People coming to know Jesus, what's the first act of obedience that you find in the book of Acts? The first act of obedience is baptism for a variety of reasons. On the day of Pentecost, Peter's altar call, at the end of his first sermon that we know of anyway, uh, with this call to repent, he also said, be baptized. And it was an answer to the question that somebody asked because their hearts were moved by what he said about God and about what he said about Jesus and about Jesus entering into our world to meet with us. And the question was, what shall we do? Paul said, or Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's repentance? Turning our heart, turning away from sin, turning towards God. Repentance says to God, I'm serious about following you. What's baptism? Baptism says to the church and to the world, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm serious about doing it. There's a symbolic identification with the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. When we go under the water and we come out of the water, it's like Jesus' burial and resurrection. And the water symbolizes that, that cleaning, that cleansing of the heart. Clean not by me, but by Jesus. And coming up out of the water like being a brand new person. That's not what happens there. It's, you're not magically made into some new being. But it symbolizes what Jesus has done on the inside, right? You know, in Jesus' day when somebody wanted to become Jewish and they were a Gentile, they would go through baptism. They would be baptized by immersion. They would be submerged in the water. They'd go into the waters a Gentile and come up out of the waters a Jew. Their clothes would be burned to signify the death of the old person. New white clothes would be put on them to signify cleansing and a brand new life in Jesus. Well, brand new life in the Judeas, Judaic culture, but in the Christian church, it became the act of first obedience, the sign that your faith is real because it's public, it's in front of other people, it's a public confession of faith. And it, and it says, I have chosen to follow God for life. That's what baptism signified. You know, one of the major church splits that took place early in the Christian church into Eastern and Western church took place over baptism. There, there, was a, there was a persecution that was happening, and they were forcing them to burn incense to the, to, the, to the emperor. And some people chose to say, well, you know, I'll just say in my heart that I still love Jesus, but I'll publicly confess, you know, that, that the emperor is Lord. And then the others, some of them were, were tortured and persecuted because they didn't do that. And... Then after it was all over and it was peaceful again, this group that had sacrificed to the emperor, they came to the church and they wanted to rejoin the church and they said, no, 
because you were baptized and you went back on your public confession of Jesus by making a public confession in another direction. So we can't allow you back. Because to them, it was so serious. Baptism was that sign. I have decided to follow Christ. Well, there's another part of this great commission. It says, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Baptizing and teaching. The apostles were told to pass on everything that they learned from Jesus, right? All that knowledge, all the stories, all the rules for living, all the witnessing of miracles, all the things that they saw, they were told to, to put it in a, to, to pass it on. Teaching is more than just passing on verbal information. It's also mentoring. It's also modeling um, what it's like to follow Jesus. Yesterday, we were building some picnic tables, right? And it was really cool to see the, the Girl Scouts out there and, and building. I saw teaching and modeling and mentoring all going on in that little experience. There were several who were skilled carpenters and skilled helpers who, who were really good teachers. And so um, they would explain what's going to happen. They might set some screws. They might show them how to do it and then explain how it, everything had to come together. And then the girls did it. You know, they had to do that stuff because that was what it was all about. It was about them earning badges, right? Them doing a project. They hammered in the carriage bowls, tightened the nuts, carried the lumber, did all kinds of things. It was their project, and they worked very hard. Some of them had never used a power tool before. Uh, they were doing very well. By the end, they had kind of figured it out. You know, it's like they, they were getting better at the drills and they were getting better at the hammers and they were getting better at all this stuff. Why? Because watch what I do. Do as I watch you. Then you do it. Right? That's mentoring. That's the process. Uh, congratulations to Abigail Williams, by the way. And there were a couple of other girls, too, who earned their bronze award building those tables. And that's the third highest honor you can get in Girl Scouts. Teaching with mentoring is effective. Make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to obey the commands of Christ. To make disciples, we have to be disciples. And everyone is a part of that disciple-making process. Um, one practical step you can take today is when you go out the door in the lobby on the tables, there are those little, you know, finding my fit sheets that we have around the building. And there's a whole section there with things that are related to discipleship that you could volunteer to be a part of. Maybe that's where your gifts are. You can apply them like that. Think of discipleship as part of God's restoration process. God is rebuilding you into the person who more fully reflects him. We're being helped to grow up. We're becoming the person that God first intended us to be when he created humanity. Discipleship is part of that process. I read a great story the other day just uh, about a young man who was very eager to grow in his Christian life. And he got a piece of paper, and, and he made a list of all the things that he could do for God on that piece of paper. He wrote down the things that he would give up. 
He wrote down the places that he would go to minister and the areas that he would minister in. And he was really excited that, about that. And he took it to the church and he put it on the altar and he left it there. Now, he thought he was going to feel joy. He thought he was going to feel great about all these things he was going to do. But instead, he felt kind of empty. So he went home and thought, well, I just don't have enough on my list. And he started adding more and more things that he was going to do for God onto that list. And then he went to the church, and he put it in the altar, and he went home, and he still felt nothing. So finally, he went in and talked to the pastor, and he said to the pastor, this is the situation. And the pastor said, well, here, try this. Take a blank sheet of paper and sign your name on it. And then put that on the altar. And the young man did that, and he had real peace in his heart. Because he realized it's not our plans, it's God's plans. And we need to put our whole life on the altar of God. We need to give him the whole thing. And that's a major part of being a disciple of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to forgive my wandering heart. I ask you to lead me in your path of righteousness. Lord, I want to be your disciple. I want to be all in for Jesus. I want to surrender my heart completely as I choose to follow you, Lord. I want to be your disciple. Lord, teach me your ways throughout my entire life. And Lord, empower me by your Holy Spirit so that I can follow all of those ways that you show me. Lord, make me your disciple. And lead me in making more disciples. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship band is going to, uh, to do a song that we're going to use as our benediction and our blessing as we close the service today. And when the song is done, we're done. And uh, so we'll be dismissed as soon as we're done singing.